Welcome to the Health Unfiltered Podcast. I'm Dr. Rogelio Ralzola, a PhD in health, exercise, and sports science, a strength coach with over a decade of experience in personal, collegiate, and professional settings, and a sports scientist whose main goal is to use testing and data to maximize your health and performance. And I'm Brooke West, holistic registered dietitian, practicing the perfect combination of a functional nutrition, science-based root cause approach, and hippie magic, with areas of expertise in women's health and hormones, gut health, and micronutrient balance. We believe that health is multifaceted, but not as complicated as others make it seem. Our mission is to share what works and what's BS in the health industry, all while having a good time doing it. Expect us to share everything from new research to tried and true health philosophies to alternative health therapies and the occasional controversial topic. Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Health Unfiltered. My name is Brooke and I am here with one of my favorite people on the planet, Dr. Robo. What's up? Oh man, that just made me smile. I am alive. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing well. I think I'm doing a little bit better than you. <laughs> just, just a smidge, maybe. <laughs> I'm mobile, you know, not to brag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very, uh, very jealous of that fact. Yeah, let's just get it out of the way. I'm sure all of our loyal listeners follow me on, uh, I almost said Snapchat, like I've had that in four years, uh, on um, <laughs> Instagram. And yeah, I don't know what happened that this past week. I've, I was like, man, my back, like, definitely is not feeling right um but you know it didn't feel not normal uh and then i woke up saturday and was like oh we have this party this halloween party which was great shout out to everyone who who came missed you brooke uh, i loved your costume by the way you oh, yeah. nailed it that was funny <laughs> yeah shout out to the to the justin bieber and Haley bieber costumes because i was like oh we got to be like the only ones and i saw some people across the internet right and i was like yeah okay this is good this is good uh yeah but that day i woke up and i was like wow i feel terrible still moved a dryer downstairs by myself because stubborn dumb simple man um and we needed to get it out of the way but uh, yeah, then Sunday, I pretty much spent the day in bed, Monday, day in bed. What's today? Thursday? Tuesday, mm-hmm. half day in bed. You know, Wednesday kind of moved. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping for the best and not like I just aggravated something. Definitely am not in the same amount of pain that I needed for like surgery. I don't think we're that, that deep into it. But yes, if you if we ever release this video... I'm, like, in my chair all the way back, like, in the most comfortable position I can be. And I told Brooke, because, like, there's a good chance we pause it uh, halfway through just so I can move to the bed and just, like, lay down. Like, yeah, okay, let's stare at the ceiling and talk. Um, <laughs> so, so, yeah, send your good vibes my way. But I, you know, have medicine, tiger balm, heating pads. Like, this is not new to me. So I'm like, okay, like, I know how to attack this. But... And quite frankly, it feels nice being spoiled every now and then. I'm like, oh, I can't do this. And Casey's like, I got it. I'm like, no, you don't. Oh, oh okay. Oh, no, no. <laughs> she walks in from work one day and you're like moving a couch. And yeah. She's like, Wait a minute. Yeah. I've been doing I'm all like, this stuff for uh, you. Oh, uh, I just got so much better today. <laughs> yeah. The other day I couldn't put on my socks and she was like, can I put on your socks? I was like, if I can't put on my socks, like we have a real issue here. And then she's like, I'm putting on your socks. I was like, damn it. And that's kind of when I was like, okay, I'm I'm excited to marry her because clearly at the age of me being 30, if she's doing this and like, it'll be good when I'm 60 and unfortunately 102 years old. And she's like, okay, let me do this for you. I'm like, how did you stay so healthy? And I didn't Um, take care of those bodies. I know, man. I know. It's so funny. It's hard. There's a price to pay for being so strong. And that is also... The price to pay for being so stubborn and a dummy. But other than that, I'm great. Uh, (laughs) And if I start rambling again, I am on some muscle relaxers. So my brain is just a tad foggy. Um, We stopped drinking on the podcast, but now uh, Ro is breaking out the prescriptions. (laughs) Uh, Shout out to everyone who's mad at me. My mom. Anyway. uh, Yeah. (laughs) How How are you doing? I am good. I'm 
plugging along. I'm really excited about some behind the scenes work stuff that is happening. Hell yeah. People are definitely going to want to follow along on Instagram, especially in December. I've got some special announcements coming and stuff for the beginning of next year. So that's exciting work stuff. Personal wise, it's been very interesting. We've been having a lot of rain because there's tropical storms and cyclones coming through. I think this is because of storms in Mexico. I'm not totally sure. Oh, man. And it has been gnarly. Like our, all of a sudden the street is a river and you're just like, what is happening? <laughs> and so there's been landslides and different things. And this is my I've lived here in Costa Rica now for like a year and a month, but it's still wow, all so new, you know? Yeah. And uh, I lived rainy last rainy season. I lived on the coast. So it was a very different experience. And now I'm in a cloud forest, like in the mountains. Mm -hmm. So landslides are a thing. There was like a random boulder in the middle of the road the other day. And you just kind of got to flow with it. You're like, all right, well. (laughs) (laughs) So that's kind of what's been going on here. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Not much else. You know, speaking of a year and a month, I, uh, I think I texted you uh it might have been my snack two weeks ago or the the Mm -hmm. most recent snack we hit our 100th episode and i was like whoa i didn't even think about it because you know the 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 show is gone you know it's kind of i had i guess had like three different transformations so like this new season right this is episode 13 or whatever it ends up being but to think that like we've put out 100 episodes is like wow that's kind of crazy and um yeah it just got me thinking it's like i've i've talked to you a lot i've talked to nicole a lot you know but like we still have people that listen and i think that that's pretty cool um and our stuff has like changed so dramatically from when we started so yeah just a nice just a nice thought so if you ever get you know swept away in your river at least you can die and be like, we got 100 episodes out. You know. <laughs> you <can> die <laughs> that's happy. What, that's what I'll write on your tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> she she made it over 100 episodes. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. Oh, jeez. Oh, that's great. Well, let's go ahead and dive in with our question of the week. Let's do it. Um, I was sent an article along with this, so I have lots of other details. But the, the question was, is it safe to eat quinoa and oatmeal? I read an article that chemical compounds in oatmeal and quinoa, including heavy metals and pesticides, make this a bad food to eat. Mm. You mm. know this kind of stuff makes my blood boil. Oh, yeah. It's great. <laughs> it's <laughs> so what's interesting is, so I read this whole article because I'm like, I like to be armed with the facts. Okay. Sure. And there are some things I agree and disagree with, and there's just a lot of nuance missing from the article, which is also very common. These very clickbaity emails and different things. Uh, you see this a lot on social media too, which is why you have to be very careful and very discerning about who you follow on social media and who you listen to. I'm looking at you, Carnivore MD. Okay, so I overall disagree that you should avoid oatmeal and quinoa. They're zooming in on these very specific compounds in food that if we were to isolate this compound, yes, potentially, maybe it could be an issue. I still don't really necessarily agree 100% on that. But nature is a lot smarter than us. It is one part of an entire food with this makeup of all of these other compounds. Everything is a chemical. Water is a chemical compound. Mm -hmm. Everything is a chemical compound. So you can't just be scared of chemicals and you know be mindful that when people start to isolate little things it doesn't mean it's bad for you yeah you know even man-made chemicals not all of them are bad for you so um i disagree i think quinoa and oatmeal are great staples to have as a part of your diet one thing that the article did mention is that glyphosate is harmful and problematic and that you but they were saying you shouldn't buy these foods because they're extremely contaminated grains or crops and the truth is yes you know, and glyphosate is an issue. I believe they're stopping this, the use of Roundup. Of course, now they've got some other super thing they're going <laughs> to yeah, be using instead. So I don't know how much better that is. But if you have the money, I do think buying organic is the way to go. And now this opinion has changed for me. I did not always think that. However, there's a lot of research that has come out that shows exactly how we're absorbing glyphosate. And it's not happening the way we thought. But it's actually happening in our gut through something called the shikame pathway. So it is impacting us in a really big way. And it's staying in our system. And it's not healthy. So... That's my little caveat there. 
you know, grains, yes, anything that's not organic is going to have pesticides like glyphosate, mm-hmm. which are problematic and harmful, especially over time. We're just chronically exposed to these low doses. So buy organic if you can. Another thing that was brought up is leaky gut and saying like these things will hurt your gut, which I, I very much disagree because Always both have a lot of fiber gut. prebiotics and they're they're good for the gut, um, in my opinion. If you're ever experiencing a symptom, like if you eat oatmeal and you don't feel good and something's going on, there's that's a trigger and you need to dig deeper. If you're having a lot of food intolerances, gluten, I think, is the exception. Like most people, that's a different animal. But if you're like, I can't eat blueberries, I can't eat cucumbers, I can't eat potatoes, and I can't eat this and that. And that's like this huge long list. Something else is wrong and you need to dig deeper because that shouldn't be the case. Leaky gut is not caused by a single chemical compound in a natural food. It is caused by an imbalance in the ecosystem of your gut from terrible food choices, lack of movement, stress, bad sleep, different medications, like the list goes on. It's not the single chemical compound in quinoa that's (laughs) going to make you have a leaky gut, okay? We have to zoom out from a bird's eye view and a holistic perspective. And then the thing about heavy metals is heavy metals are naturally occurring in the earth's crust, So it's naturally in our soil. Mm -hmm. It's going to be in different things we encounter in our world and certainly something to pay attention to. But like if you were going to argue this, then stop eating all food, especially animals, you know, and like that just doesn't make sense. So I think what you should do is be mindful of exposures you can control. Like if you do have metal mercury fillings in your mouth if you live you know i've watched this come up with clients like they live next to military bases ammunition Mm -hmm. plants agricultural plants and their water supply does have heavy metals or different contaminants then you need to just that's what you need to be focused on is like how do we get a really good water filtration system in place and i reduce where i can not worrying about these itty bitty things with foods so that is my TED talk on why you should still eat quinoa and oatmeal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, quinoa is bad. And oatmeal, I have slowly come around to, like overnight oats, I think are so fire. I haven't made any, but when I worked at the field, like every time we had a morning game, I was like, hell yeah, this is this is great. I have to get the recipe. Um, yeah, uh, awesome. I agree with that. And also, unlocked a very vivid memory. There's a street we would drive down. And there was some plant in Carpentersville. Don't remember what it was, what it is. But when they would make stuff, you know, like the air smelled like burning plastic. And it's like, oh, we hated driving through there. We didn't live near it. So it wasn't a big issue. But imagine smelling that, being around that 24-7. Like, there's going to be issues. And like you said, focus on that and not like, (laughs) oh, I can't have oatmeal. All right, man. (laughs) What are we doing? Yeah, you got to be careful and pick and choose your battles. And I mean, the most common things when I test clients, I see actually, which is probably going to be surprising, is uranium, aluminum. Mm. It's not, it's not, you know, cadmium or some of these like really little things that people like to zoom in on. It's actually just aluminum. It's just in so much food packaging and different things. And our deodorants and our, you know, our baking pans, our aluminum foils, things like that. And uh, uranium. That's coming from the soils from the plants, usually, like contaminated water. So, Can't wait to grow another arm. Hey, man. If I could grow another (laughs) spine, (laughs) I'll take it. (laughs) Maybe there's something to it. You just start growing a tail out of your spine or something. (laughs) Oh, man. It's the secret. Just radioactive (laughs) water. All right. Okay. So let's dive in to this topic. In previous episodes, we have focused on people with obesity through the lens of health at every size. And I want to preface this conversation, which I'm sure we'll give all of our little caveats along the way. (laughs) This conversation is not meant to shame anyone or make Mm -hmm. anyone feel guilty in any way. Mm -hmm. This conversation is about 
making you feel empowered with facts, talking about data and ways that people can make improvements in their health and their life, their well-being, their longevity, so they don't end up like row in a chair, leaned back, immobile, right? Damn. So, <laughs> so True, though. I'm just teasing. So we want we want this conversation really to be centered in a positive way. So that's kind of just my little asterisk there. Um, but we're going to talk about how it impacts the body, specifically if you are exercising and engaging in healthy habits, but you do have high body fat, we know that you're healthier than if you don't make any effort and you're sedentary, mm -hmm. but to what extent? So this is the very, this is the specific thing we're going to zoom in on. Um, and that's my little intro for today. <laughs> sure. Right. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to pass it off to you, Ro, just... Yeah. Start us off. Let's talk obesity. Yeah. And I, I think uh, obesity is such a, like we talked about, it's, it's such a multifactorial, nuanced, like, subject, right? Um, not only because we have to be careful with what we say because, you know, people are fighting uphill battles, um, but also because, like, we, there are so many things that we can I guess, blame, I'm like air quoting, for obesity, anything from like uh, the hyper palatable food, right? The processed food, like, yes, we just thought about how nature is very smart, but people who are out to make money are also very smart. So if they can get you to eat these things day in and day out um, that are not nutrient dense, like that is something you are fighting against as well. Um, you know, you can say someone is lazy or they're ignorant, but like, then we also have to think about you know how much money they have how just you know we're talking about organic foods and you know better quality foods it's like if you live in a food desert or you don't have like the transportation to go and get food the ease of access isn't there like there's a lot of things that can add to why someone may become obese and then you're looking at genetics too right like unfortunately if your parents were bigger people because of choices they may or may not have made, like genetics tend to hold on, it predisposes you to things. And now, like, you know, four generations down the line, you're like, oh, we just were, we were always bigger people. It's like, maybe, I don't know. I don't know what your genome is, but like, there are a lot of things at play. Um, well, and two, I want to jump in and just add that just like we talk about, you need to have a holistic plan to heal. Mm hmm there think about all these different pieces right all those different pieces also can work against you it's very yeah. multifactorial with obesity and i also want to say because i don't want to start this conversation with someone being like well i don't have the means yeah because i strongly disagree however there are going to be little hacks and things along the way where you have to really like work smarter not harder to spend, you know, like when it's ta we're talking about spending money, like we talked about how you can literally just work out in an eight by eight cell. Yeah. You know, and one of the big things we did in Mississippi when I was there is we were teaching people how to garden to grow their own fresh food for very, very, very like next to nothing. And then you can control that it's organic. So I'm just, I just want to say there are like ways around these things. Um, but these are, yes, definitely factors. Yeah. And you can always find excuses for everything. Right. Myself included. Right. I mean, today, like because I've been immobile, <laughs> I don't want to say immobile, less mobile. Uh, we haven't been in the grocery store and I'm like, oh, well, there's like this chicken place right down the street. Like I'm going to go get it because one, I don't have food here Two, I really just the thought of the fried chicken sandwich was like really good to me. I was like, OK, I'll take it. That's a choice I made. Right. Like. The excuse is, oh, well, I couldn't really move around, didn't want to cook. But the reality is, like, I just wanted this chicken sandwich. Um, yeah, but, you know, like, so obesity is, is it's um, this thing that, that is with us and will continue to be with us because, you know, we're going to get into how uh, obesity is, like, skyrocketing. Um, and I think when it comes to obesity, we have to mention, like, what we talk about in the like sense of research when it comes to obesity is like we're always focusing on BMI and we've talked about the pitfalls of using BMI right like 
BMI is just utilizing your height and weight, no muscle mass. So if I'm 5'10", 215, and I have, you know, let's say 100 pounds of muscle, I'm going to have the same BMI as someone who has an egregious 200 pounds of muscle, but is the same height and weight as I am. Um, and that's just because that's how we can get large amounts of information from these big studies. Like we don't have the time to go and caliper everyone or put them on a bod pod or like things that may be more accurate. Um, but this gives us large ideas of like what the population is like. Um, but also something we have to be wary of, right? Like you are not really fat or obese if you have a BMI over 30, like because you are six foot four and 240 pounds of like straight muscle. No one's going to look at you and be like, well, that's an obese person, right? And then the same for someone who may be kind of five, eight and below and may have a lot of muscle mass and just not a lot of body fat. But um, when we think of BMI, I'm air quoting normal weight because it's also like, well, what's normal weight, right? Uh, it's going to be 18.5 to 24.9 on the BMI scale. Overweight is 25 to 29.9 and obesity is 30 or more. Now, when I was getting ready for this podcast, I was like, you know, I don't know what my my BMI is, right? Like, let me go check it. And I think it's like a 31.1, right? Like, I know I'm not obese. I would say I'm like overweight. I would classify myself as overweight, especially when I can't move as much. Uh, but I then I tried to like put it into like, well, when when was the last time I could have been normal weight, like at 24.9? And that was when I was like in high school, probably a sophomore, and I was like a chunky 165. Oh, okay. You're going to look at me and be like, oh, that guy? Yeah, he's healthy. It's like, no, I hadn't started <laughs> exercising. Like I, I was running and playing and stuff, but was never lifting and I was a chunky kid. And if you look at me now and be like, oh, yeah, like he's obese. It's like, no. I mean, unless you really think I am obese, that makes you kind of sad, but um, – you know, it's 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 just understanding that like BMI has a lot of pitfalls to it. And, you know, when we talk about the stuff moving forward or BMI is brought up, like just as a reminder that there are a lot of nuances that come with utilizing uh, BMI. All that to say <laughs> obesity has skyrocketed. Uh especially in the past like 50 years um, to the point where the World Obesity Federation is predicting that in the next 12 years, 51%, so a majority of the entire world is going to be obese. That is shocking. It's scary. Um, not only because of like your own health, but like we, whether you like it or not, live in a society that does take care of each other tries to so when we have people with obesity that leads to sickness insurance goes up the cost of things go up like there are other things that come with being or having like a really unhealthy population um, that maybe people don't think about as much because it's like oh it's just my health like how is that going to affect anyone else it's going to affect all of us, it's whether you want to, yeah, whether you <laughs> don't uh, want to believe that or not. And in America specifically, like currently 49% of adults, it's like a hundred million of us, um, are obese. And then around 20% of children are obese. So that already, it's like, oh, 49, like, hey, it's not half yet. It's like, it's, it's pretty That's close, pretty right? You know? I think the children is more alarming because mm -hmm. children are actually born with this innate ability to self-regulate. It's really not until yeah. we start telling them, eat everything on your plate or stop eating or eating too much, that they start altering the way they eat. So For that sure. to me tells me that the habits you have, you're, you're gifting to your children as well. And so you yeah. need to be mindful of that because if you guys are all eating the same thing, um, you know, and you don't feel good, your child ultimately isn't going to feel good either. And I think I read a stat recently that overweight and obese 
So everyone outside of that normal category was it's over 70% in the United States. So we're already, you know, the United States is already mass majority overweight or obese category. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, it's, you know, it's sad, but it's also not surprising, right? When you just look around your own neighborhood and you're like, oh, I don't see a lot of movement or I see a lot of people sitting and smoking, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I think when we have had episodes where it's more um, like about empowerment and all things that we need, but, you know, it's like being careful about how you talk about your body so that like your kid doesn't hear it, right? And they're like, oh, mommy thinks she's fat. So like, I must be fat too. Like you said, like they also pick up our bad habits from the other end of like, oh yeah, we always ate at least two plates or we had to finish everything on our plate even though we were really full, right? Um, and, you know, just something to think about as well. Like what are we doing to to our kids that is going to put them in like a less favorable position down the road, especially as these numbers keep on, keep on climbing. Um, I do think another thing to point out is the United States is the worst out of just about every other country. I think actually, I, I don't know the stats, but I'm willing to just state that as a fact. Um, <laughs> The worst and in it what? seems like worse as far as health wise okay. um, percentage of body fat. I'm not, I'm not going to get on to the other reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Health wise, the United States is worse, right? Supposedly we're, you know, the best, most flourishing country, but we're the sickest is my point. Yeah, yes. Uh, like with lifestyle disease and different things. And we have to, we have to like zoom out and look at why. And, and two things I want to mention that I don't think we touched on yet is the stress levels and the way that in the United States we work as far as jobs and disconnection from self disconnection, usually from like culture and, um, spirituality yourself, like really disconnecting from your body. Like there's a lot of reasons there that I think are worth highlighting and environmental exposures. That's a big one. I've been like deep diving in a course learning about all of this and it's mind blowing how a lot of these endocrine disruptors also play a role. I didn't even know, to be honest, that endocrine disruptors can alter the way your hunger and satiation satiation cues work. Like your your full your hunger or your full cues. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things at play here and it seems to be like it's worse in really industrialized like Western cultures. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, aside from the satiation, right, like these, <coughs> we talk about heavy metals, like they affect metabolic processes. So then your ability to burn calories or utilize energy like does become limited. And then it also makes you like feel worse. So then you feel like you don't want to do things and you fall into the trap of not doing things. So, yeah, I mean, again, a thousand <laughs> reasons why we are not as healthy as like we should be. Um, but that's like why I want to talk about this, right? Because this is not us sitting here and quote unquote glorifying obesity and whatever when we talk about how you should ultimately treat people who are bigger with respect, treat yourself with respect. But this is like also, hey, a reminder, we are health practitioners and there are like things that we do need to focus on um, looking at it through a different lens. Uh, so we talked about, you know, like being obese or having obesity um, it's associated with things like insulin resistance, which may lead to type 2 diabetes, uh, hypertension, dyslipidemia. Like everyone, I think, kind of knows that if you have high amounts of body fat, it's going to cause other things to get worse. And then like you become a heavier body, so that's more strain on your joints, and if you're not getting stronger, right, then your muscles are going to get weaker in a faster way. Um, they're going to become less efficient. And then those joints are going to tear down even more. Um, but like we've said before, like you can have obesity and exercise, right, and be active. And that is going to mitigate not all some of the risks that come with having high amounts of body fat. And like, that's what I kind of want to touch on today because it's, 
it's just not saying like, hey, you have high fat, like it's over for you. No, like there's so much more that we can do so that even though that's there and we're aware of the issues, we can do things to help ourselves maybe get to a healthier state. Yeah, I love that reminder. It's like everything that we've listed is like, these are all the things contributing or the reasons why we see it. It's a, a, to me, it's like a mindset reframe of like, these aren't roadblocks and reasons why you shouldn't or you can't get healthier. Yeah. To me, it's like, oh, like these are actually things I can change to make impact to feel better and to make, and, and with exercise especially, like you can make a lot of impact. So what is a metabolically healthy obese person? Like how is that different? Yeah, so the meta- metabolically healthy obese person is someone who uh, you're thinking of right now where you're like, oh yeah, that, that person's like a little bigger, definitely a bigger body, but they're active. I see them running miles every other week, every day. I see them hitting the gym, you know, two to three times a week. This is someone who is just like, it's it's just that they have more fat on them, but they are super active. Um, so this might have changed over the past five, 10 years because there, there are two studies that I like pulled on, um, one in 2013 and one 2018. But um, in 2013, uh, the individuals, so the metabolically healthy obese individuals made up nine to 41 percent of the obese population. Um, and that's like a huge range, right? No one's like, hey, nine to 41, <laughs> that's pretty close. But it's because there's a couple different ways that we can classify someone as being metabolically healthy obese, uh, which we'll get into later uh, or in a bit here. But these are people with high insulin sensitivity. So when they have carbohydrates, their body's like, boom, I know how to utilize this. And it's probably because they have larger muscle. And we've talked about how muscle helps with diabetes, uh, how it helps with just health in general. Um, Someone with a low prevalence of hypertension, what does this mean? Oh, they're generally doing some sort of cardio, whether that's through lifting or cardio itself. Like if you have a strong heart, then your hypertension is lower. Crazy, I know. Um, And then favorable lipid profiles and lower levels of inflammation are likely due to the exercise in general, right? Like if you are utilizing this energy that you have, and it may be excess energy, but still energy, um, you are going to utilize those fat molecules. You are going to decrease the inflammation by just having more muscle mass or having the contraction of muscle mass. Um, And there are two episodes that we talked about that. We had the myokines episode, which is like specifically what muscle is doing to help regulate inflammation. Um, And then we had a whole episode on type 2 diabetes and exercise. Uh, So we won't get into like the huge pathways there. But if you really want to nerd out uh, and listen to me talk for (laughs) an hour, uh, those episodes get into kind of the nitty gritty there. But, you know, you're going to... Because we talk about BMI and and how it can mean a couple different things, that's also why that 9 to 41% is like such a big range. Because we're not just talking about someone who you look at and it's like, yes, they have obesity. Um, but we were talking about people who are fit and strong and have large amounts of muscle. Like their BMI is going to be high just because of their height and their weight. Um, but you know, that's not everyone. And that's why nine to 41% is, uh, is such a big range, but how we classify BMI, um, there's a couple different schools of thought. Um, there's the absence of metabolic syndrome. There's utilizing the HOMA IR, which is really the, how you assess insulin resistance. And then there's like a strict definition and over the past couple of years, like a couple more have come out, but I think focusing on those three is probably the, the easiest. Uh, so if you don't have any metabolic uh, syndrome, or if you are absent, absent of metabolic syndrome, which means you have 
two or fewer of these following criteria, then you aren't considered or you are considered metabolically healthy. So even if your BMI is above 30, if your waist circumference isn't uh, bigger than 102 centimeters as a male, 88 as a female, if your blood pressure is not greater than 130 over 85, if your triglycerides are not greater than 150 milligrams per deciliter, and then if your HDL is uh, not less than 40 or 50 for women, then you can be considered or you are considered metabolically healthy. So it's like, you know, we're taking a deeper dive into your insides, being like, how are you performing really as a human? Um, And if you are performing well by not having all these things, then you're healthy. You just have a larger amount of body fat or your BMI is high, right? Um, For insulin resistance, if your HOMA IR, which you can get done in a doctor's office, is less than 2.5, then like that strictly is like, hey, you are metabolically healthy. Like that is good enough for us. And then the strict definition is pretty much all of those, as well as your A1C um, being less than 5.7. So those are like numbers that I think you, one, should not remember, right? Like these are things that I pulled from classes that I took. No one's ever going to be like, or uh, maybe you are, I don't know. I, I didn't remember them off the top of my head. But your doctors are like, hey, we want you to be within this or below this. Like, they're going to generally say these things. So if you are within these healthy ranges, even if you have a BMI of 30, uh, above 30, <clears throat> or high amounts of body fat, then you are considered metabolically healthy, uh, even though you are obese or have obesity. Excuse me. Yeah. And for someone who doesn't know what A1C is, um, it's essentially looking at like the big picture of how you're metabolizing carbohydrates, like your, your, mm-hmm. your blood sugar over a longer period of time. Uh, yeah. They use it to diagnose uh, prediabetes and diabetes. Yeah, it's great because like the HOMA IR, I think, is like within that one time point. But A1C, like you said, is over a larger time frame, which is arguably way better. Yeah, it's pretty solid. And something that came up as I was reading this, uh, like just from individual clients I've worked with, I've had clients who are not considered overweight or obese and they struggle with high triglycerides and high cholesterol and, and all these kinds of issues. So it's also like not really exclusive to, oh, I have yeah. excess body fat. I have these issues. You can actually have metabolic syndrome and not have excess body fat. Um, And I think one of the biggest things I've seen trend-wise, stress, stress, stress. Stress plays such a big role in what's happening, especially like very directly with our blood blood pressure and different issues. But um, the foods you eat and tending to your nervous system and taking care of stress, like it can also be like a really big root cause help to some of these things. Yeah, for sure. You're just inflaming your body, right? Like your body doesn't know whether it's stress from work or stress from exercise or stress from, you know, other things occur. But like your nervous system is just playing its own role at that point. And and I love that you brought up that we'll say skinny people or like the term is like um, mast obesity is is what it's called like in papers and in books. I think a lot of people look at it and say like skinny fat, right? Like, oh, you are skinny or you're small, but like you have no muscle. So what is that going to do? Like, oh, it's going to say that you have a higher body fat percentage because your percentage of muscle is so low. Um, So yeah, this is, we're talking about higher amounts of fat, but stuff like this can be seen in even quote-unquote normal weight people and then people who are i hate saying quote-unquote i'd say it again quote-unquote underweight yeah yeah even certain like disease states can cause it it's very interesting okay so let's talk about if someone does have obesity 
how can they start to make steps towards being more metabolically healthy? Like what would you say are some good action steps to start implementing first to change those numbers? Yeah, I I actually want to, um, I want to kind of flip it on you first, if you don't mind, because I, I grew up a meathead, right? I am a meathead. I will always be one. Um, but I am very aware that the thing that makes the biggest difference is probably if you're weighing like physical activity and like intake and food, like nutrition's going to impact more things. Uh, and that hurts me to say again, cause I'm a gym rat, but like if, if I had to, yeah, I guess I would just ask you first, you know, like what are steps that someone could take? Because I, I think like we talked about, everyone can say, oh yeah, I do have obesity. I don't have the time for this. I don't have the resources for this. Like, how do you, how do you tell someone to switch their eating habits without throwing a whole book at them and saying, hey, fix all of that. And then you should be good. Yeah, I definitely recognize and acknowledge this can be overwhelming. This is why I work with people usually for four months or more because this happens in layers. Even just with the food piece alone, you know, you don't need to change everything overnight. Like change one or two things at a time. And it's going to be this evolution of then all of a sudden, you know, over a period of time, you're like, oh, man, like I've got this awesome, robust, nutritious diet. Um But essentially, like the biggest things I would do for food is to start eating enough protein at every meal and snack for someone that's struggling with not being metabolically healthy or has excess body fat, because this is going to help you to feel full and satiated and to help balance blood sugar and then to eat balanced plates. So then I think that next step would be okay, do I have fruits? Do I have vegetables? Do I have fibrous foods? What else? is on this plate. Um, and maybe you need to back up and actually take it even slower. I, you know, I recognize, um, I don't usually work with a lot of clients who drink a lot of sodas or eat a lot of fast food, but it does happen. And so maybe that's actually your first stop. Maybe your first stop is I'm just going to stop drinking sodas and I'm going to start drinking water, herbal teas, infused water with fruit and other things. So this needs to happen in layers depending on where you're at, honestly. Um, and then I think a big piece is fibrous foods. So usually we've gotten to a place where our gut microbiome is not the most ideal environment due to the foods we eat, our lack of inactivity, our stress levels, all of the all of the things, the chemicals in our world around us. Um, it's just the matter of fact. So one of the best things you can do for your gut is to eat fibrous foods. So that's things like fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts, seeds, really any whole food that has carbohydrates in it is going to have some fiber in it. So it's really just about starting to add different things and have a more robust diet of foods that you're cooking at home, in my opinion, is like a great first step. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that. And, and I think it's like the same thing with activity, right? If you have not moved in 10 years, and we say this all the time in, in every episode we ever talk about exercise, someone says work out six times a week, you are bound to fail, right? Like you don't have any systems in place. And now you're going to be like, okay, this is the most elite system. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like the, you may there's a good chance you are not part of that 1% that like does that and then sticks to it for the rest of their life. That is not like a, a you problem. That is just the reality of like you, you handled, you tried to handle too much at one time. So in the same vein, like if you've never exercised, guess what? One day a week is a hundred times more than zero days per week. Like it is that, simple. Um, if you are someone who always takes the elevator, okay, maybe one of those times you're taking the stairs, right? These are like little cheat codes that we're just trying to get you to implement. And of course it's going to be hard. There are some times where I run up my stairs too quick and I'm like, ah, God, okay. Um, (laughs) well, I got to work on that. You know what I mean? Like, but again, it's, it's difficult to start these habits up and like to 
put these systems in place, but it is not as difficult when you find something that you really like to do that pushes you, that moves you. And like, if that becomes your thing, pickleball, pick up basketball, lifting, uh, jujitsu, like ride that, especially if it's something that's going to get you to keep coming back. Um, And then at that point, you're not thinking like, oh my God, I'm doing this so that my blood pressure gets below 135. Oh, I'm doing this so that like my HDL is, is high. No, you're doing it because it's fun and you're going to enjoy it and you're going to want to come back. It's a new skill. Like that is what's going to push you more than the best celebrity trainer who's going to yell at you and be like, do you want this? Nothing tastes better than skinnier feels, you know, like, and, and I think that's where people are caught up. You may not like lifting weights. That is okay. Do I think differently of you because I love it? Yes. But if you're out there running ultras and stuff like, or even just running in general, that's awesome. The main thing is that you enjoy it and it's something you can do and come back and come back. And who knows down the line, you may be like, Ooh, I want to try something else because I have this newfound confidence in myself, in my body and my ability to perform. I want to try other things. So yeah, I mean, for specifics, we just released an episode like two weeks ago or something that talked about the things that we should check the boxes on. Um, you can always type in on Google, like three day split, you know, whatever, something's going to pop up. Um, or you can message me like these are where here's a resource and I would love to work with you. But also at the same time, like I would love to impart knowledge you know, just because I want people to be healthier. I want them to, to be strong. And I don't want my healthcare costs to go up 20 years from now. So <laughs> that's what it is. I don't yeah. want to have to sell my firstborn child to be insured yeah. in the United States. Yeah. <clears throat> no, but I mean, too, from like a holistic health perspective, I think when we're talking about metabolism and getting metabolically healthy, there's other maybe things we don't think of as like direct, but like things that you can do that are going to make a really big difference. And I would argue one of the most important ones is less screen time and carving out time to check in with yourself. Because a lot of people have a tendency to numb from what's going on and the stress in their lives. And they do it by scrolling on Instagram, by binge watching on Netflix, by drinking alcohol, by you know, not even, you know, I'm just honestly like a normal American amount, <laughs> like, right. So there are certain <laughs> things where if you can stop reaching for coping mechanisms and start checking in with yourself and tending to yourself and processing emotions in a healthy way, tending to your nervous system. And those things will all make a really, really, really big difference. I think, especially with like metabolic obesity and, um, I do think, and I'm going to be talking about this a lot more in a lot more detail um, because of some advanced trainings I'm doing, but then I do think like being mindful of the different things that you are consuming in the world around you and the different um, chemicals, specifically endocrine disruptors. So I do think like there's these things we can do and start tweaking within our life. And it might be as simple as you're going to start filtering your water. Like just like we were talking about with our question of the week, like just start shifting these little things anytime you have a little bit of free time and a little bit of free money like what's something I want to invest in for my health maybe I get a set of dumbbells that I can do some stuff at home to make it easier for me than going to a gym after a long day at work so just Mm -hmm. start to make these little tweaks and set your environment up to support you yeah I love it cool okay how are you doing over there with your back? <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, okay. I muted you, and I was like, I gotta stretch just a bit. But I think we're on the home stretch here, so I'm like, I got this. <laughs> you got the tiger this. bomb is making me sweat, though for sure. <laughs> All right, back's on fire. <laughs> just checking in and making sure. <laughs> All right. So, although people are metabolically healthy, what are the chances of disease? So how, like, how does it compare to someone who is healthy and considered a healthy weight? Yeah. So this is kind of where this, this was the beginning 
of like why I wanted to, why I thought this would be an interesting episode, right? Um, because like we know that as we talked about, like you can be, you can just be healthier even though you have higher amounts of body fat, right? Um, but I, from what I know about how fat plays a role, especially large amounts of fat plays a role in disrupting metabolism, in disrupting metabolic processes, I was like, there has to be some cost, right? Some cost of having high amounts of fat. And, you know, we were talking about metabolically healthy obese people compared to just obese people or people with obesity. Um, but you can really stratify it in a couple different ways because you can have like metabolically healthy, normal weight people, and then you can have metabolically healthy or unhealthy, normal weight people. So this is like the skinny fat or the mass obesity that we talked about. Then you can have metabolically healthy overweight and then the unhealthy or the, yeah, I will say unhealthy version of the overweight. And then that's, and then finally we get into the metabolically abnormal obese and then metabolically healthy obese. And it's really just saying like, as we increase our body fat, right? Or BMI at within the context of this, but you know, we're talking body fat, our risks of mortality and cardiovascular disease, like they do go up. It just depends on how much and then how much of that compared to someone who doesn't have the excess fat. Um, so in these studies in 2013 and 2018, um, there's, excuse me, there's some language in there that like, you know, obviously we want people to be active. They will always be healthier and have lower risk than someone who is not as active, right? We can talk ad nauseum about the benefits of exercise we have. I love it. So I get people to move. But when you compare someone who is healthy and overweight and then healthy and obese, they have a larger risk of mortality um, and cardiovascular disease when compared to almost obviously the metabolically healthy, normal weight person. And like, that's not surprising, right? Because like, if you are both active, but this person has a healthy amount of body fat, and this person has an unhealthy amount of body fat, like, we know that there's going to be some issues there. Um, what I thought was really interesting was that the metabolically healthy obese person um, had almost the same risk as the metabolically unhealthy obese person. Uh, or, yeah, unhealthy obese person. And when I read that, I was like, mm, okay, what's the population like? You know, um, have we looked at things like the things we talk about, money, race, uh, occupation. Um, the study in 2013 looked at, I mean, both studies looked at, they're largely white populations, um, office kind of sitting people. But when they took away uh, education, money, um, ethnic group, and physical activity, like to help balance out the, the stats, uh, it still showed that like if you are obese, even if you do have that healthy, metabolically healthy obesity, your risk is still very high when compared to someone who is just overweight um, and then someone who is normal weight. And I think that that's like, obviously, if people hear that, your instinct should not be like, well, I'm obese, I might as well not exercise, right? Like if the cards are already all against me, what is the point of trying to get healthier? 
No. <laughs> the point is that, like, you are healthier than someone who is metabolically unhealthy and obese. You, you are above them. You are making choices that are making you the healthiest version of your obese self, I guess. That's a really good thing because then that helps you take more steps to going on the other side of that spectrum, right? Like the more you move, the more you feel better, the act, the more active you are, like you are taking steps, no pun intended, uh, on making those changes. It just means that like at that point, even though you are better than if you weren't exercising, it speaks to how high amounts of fat are going to negatively impact your health. And that's just something that like we can't run away from, right? So if you look anywhere on Instagram, Instagram is a pretty toxic place. <laughs> I don't have to tell you, but we're all aware. Um, someone in a bigger body posts like whatever. There's always going to be some comments like, you're fat, what do you know, blah, 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 right? Why are we promoting this? Uh, this person's unhealthy. It's sickening that they are showing off the children, like whatever it is. That is not okay, right? When we talk about how we have to treat people that have obesity, like <laughs> with basic respect, like that's what we're talking about. Like, hey, going in there... First of all, nobody says you have to comment. You can look at it, think your thoughts, and then just swipe out of the app. doesn't matter. Um, but, like, those people are doing something to fall within the metabolically healthy obesity. And then hopefully, right, like, become the healthiest version of themselves. Um, but that is not glorifying, like a big body or like glorifying that we should live, live in this like disease state. It's just being like, Hey, this is what a human also looks like. I am doing activity. I'm living my normal life. I'm doing the exact same thing that you are when you post. Right. Um, but you know that we also have to be, like I said, understanding of the fact that, people who have high amounts of obesity are in a more diseased state. And I think I probably could have cut the last five minutes. So I'm going to blame the uh, muscle relaxants on, on my brain kind of going all over the place. No, um, I think, it's, I think yeah. it's good to touch on. You would think that in 2023, we wouldn't have to be like, hey, treat people as humans, hey, regardless of what they look like or no. the color of their skin or their religion. But here we are. Crazy. Um, treat humans uh with compassion <laughs> like that no. would be a, a great a great thing um so i know i love that you brought that up what are in what in your opinion what are some really important takeaways from these studies yeah i mean the, the biggest takeaway is my favorite takeaway is that like we gotta exercise like we have to move um you know i talked about how they're large they're large pools of people right they took all this information and were able to Say like, okay, well, this was done in this year. Where are they at 12 years from now and 20 years from now? Um, so it's it's good information. It's a good study, right, that looks at stuff. Um, but like it doesn't necessarily speak to non-white people, right? Like we, we should draw inferences from it. Um, there's some... Um, body composition studies that state um, different races hold fat different places. So, you know, BMI also shouldn't work for them in a certain way. And also other uh, body fat equations don't work for them the same way. And that's a whole other topic that I hope we never get into. I think body comp sucks BMI, as a topic. BMI is literally just based off of white, math off of white men. Yeah, uh, most of the... Uh, body fat percentages are and also your insurance did you know that insurance is based off of like 70 percent of like white males and that how they doesn't do surprise me actually. no it doesn't <laughs> anyway yeah the, the main takeaway here is like 
doing exercise is going to help so much. And we have, like I said, different episodes on on why. Um, because if you have high amounts of body fat, that's going to lead to an increase in pro-inflammatory like processes and cytokines. And that's when we think about like high stress, what that does to the body, or at least in like, that's when you live in an inflamed state. But if you exercise, then the pathways, like specifically the insulin resistance, they get better. Your ability to create good pro-inflammatory cytokines and good anti-inflammatory cytokines get better. So whether you are just cranking weight, doing ex- like running, some sort of movement is going to help put you in that healthy like category. Um, and that, you know, obviously we can talk about like we have changes in nutrition, changes in um, a, lo- a lot of lifestyle habits, but you can just change so much if you just lift weights, you know. Um, and I love that. I mean, yeah. that's why I love lifting weights. I feel like muscle is such a valuable tool in so many ways. And yes. um, I mean, I know you're supposed to be, and we talked about this on episode 12, like you should be doing all these different components. But I think if you're limited on time, you're limited on energy, like I vote weights. Yeah. Just hypertrophy. Like <laughs> just get bigger muscles. And like that's going to help you so much um, because you'll get strong regardless. But having big muscles really helps. Like it really helps with everything that we're talking about. Um, so, yeah, that's a shirt idea. <laughs> Have big muscles. Oh, okay. didn't think about that. <laughs> just a reminder. <laughs> uh, this was an interesting conversation. I was I think I was most shocked by the fact that there really wasn't a benefit to seeing less disease, even if you're metabolically healthy and overweight or obese. So that was interesting. Yeah. I I mean, I think if you like extrapolate things over enough time, right. If like I'm 30 and I decide to stay this way and I like make it to 70 or 80, like it's hard because, you know, certain diseases run in your family. Like you were predisposed to them. It's difficult to say, like, oh, your lack of exercise or something caused the cancer, caused the Alzheimer's. Um, but we know that all of that stuff is definitely impacted by inflammation. And we know that high amounts of fat lead to higher inflammation. So decreasing <laughs> the amount of fat leads to less inflammation, which you know, leads to less things adding to uh, the the diseases that are in your genes, whether you want them to be there or not. So, yeah, I mean, just... Well, I mean, you might disagree with me. Tell me um, on this one. But Always. I view genetic predisposition to disease as it's like the light switch has appeared on the wall. And I think your environment... And like things you're exposed to, or it's sometimes like even you might have different viruses or different things, right? Um, and then the choices you make as far as like lifestyle, food, exercise, like that determines if the switch goes on or off. That's really how I, I view it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't disagree. I, I wouldn't make it a switch. I would make it more like a, um, uh, like a thermostat, right? In mm-hmm. where it's like it's a dial because it's, I don't see it as like, that's more like, oh, if you don't do this, the light switch is on, right? But it's more like, hey, if you aren't doing this, okay, well, I'm taking it to be a bit hotter and to be a bit more uncomfortable. And then the more you don't do it, it's just going to keep getting hotter, right? And the temperature or whatever goes up. Um, but I agree with you. Like, you know, if if that was a the thought, then people are like, oh, I'm just going to smoke and eat like shit and not exercise and it doesn't matter because like my genes dictate that I'm going to die at 60. Like, I don't know, man. Like if that's what your family always did for whatever reasons, like, and you didn't and you live to be 90, you're like, Oh, guess what? It was those things. You know, I just didn't feed into that. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. I just, I would make it more of a dial than just a light switch. Yeah. I like that analogy better. That makes more sense. 
Cool. You're well, this was fun guy. to um, what? I said, yeah, I'm a very intuitive guy. <laughs> <laughs> this was really fun to nerd out over what the research says about this. So thank you so much for gracing us with your knowledge. Yeah, um, hardly. Let's just Google on, it real quick. What is this? <laughs> um, anything else before we close out? No. Like I said in that last episode, I think verbatim when I said last episode, like, if you're about it, I'm all about it. Get after it. And like, this is, it's all going to help you. It's going to help us. More importantly, it's going to help you. Um, I don't care what happens to my insurance 20 years from now. But uh, yeah. Yeah. And if you're someone who um, like is maybe this pinged something for you and you do want support to make changes, that's literally what Ro and I do. And we have many different ways that you can enter our world, um, including a lot of free resources and different things we're happy to help with and answer questions. So please reach out to us. All of our information is in the show notes. We'd love to hear what you thought about the episode. If you disagree with us, maybe we like push some buttons that felt uncomfy, like whatever it is, please let us know. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. So on that note... Ro, would you like to take us out? Of course. Cue that music. (laughs) Bye, y'all. Thank you for listening to the Health Unfiltered podcast. Make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform, rate the podcast, and share this episode. Connect with me, Dr. Alzola, on Instagram at ROI Health. For more details on all things sports and human performance coaching, visit GetROIHealth.com. You can find me, Brooke West, on Instagram at WestNutrition.co. For all the ways we can work together on nutrition and holistic health, visit WestNutrition.co. And don't forget to send us your epic questions of the week on Instagram at HealthUnfilteredPod. Catch you next time.